Hi, everyone. My name's Andrea, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Andrea. And I'm delighted to be here. It's a privilege and an honor every time I'm in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And thank you very much for asking me to come to your meeting out here. It's a wonderful group with lots of very good cooks. You're very good cooks. <sighs> My uh, home group is SOS, and that's Sisters of Sobriety in uh, Avondale at 9 o'clock on the morning uh, in September. Uh, <laughs> Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. My sobriety date is July 1st, 1984. My sponsor was Pauline, who has just recently passed away. And I love the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Let me try to tell you how it was and what happened and how it is now. Uh, I'm from Boston, as we were talking about, and I'm adopted. And in 1938, it was a rough time in the United States. And it must have been a plenty rough time for a girl to be pregnant. And there was hardly any money for anything, and there were stamps for shoes. And when I think back about the mortification she must have had, living with her mother, being pregnant, and I was given up for adoption, and I was in an orphanage in Boston uh, only for six months. And my story really comes down to the word miracle. I never thought there was such a thing as a miracle. But when I think about what I'm asked to say, when I'm asked to speak, I'm left with this overwhelming, there really are miracles, Andrea. And from where you sit, I think you might be a miracle. And that's certainly because my higher power has nothing to do with me. I was not the designated baby. The designated baby was blonde with curly hair and cute. And my mother thought that baby was great, according to the stories I've heard. And that's the baby she wanted, and that's not the baby my father wanted. Apparently, I was on a hall, a little walkway, and I didn't move, but this handsome man walked by me, and I took his little finger. I think I was six months old. I don't recall what they told me. And my father stopped then and there and said, this is it. She said, oh, I can't be serious. The ears stick out. It's ugly. Look at that baby. You know? <laughs> that was a miracle. That was a miracle. Years later... I got to see my father from another point of view, and that was just par for the course for the kind of thing he did. Grew up just as lucky as you could be. Lots of money, property, and prestige, and all the things that, the finest things you can have. And I, it just didn't make any difference to me. I was really cut from a different piece of cloth. And when I was 15, I was sitting in the middle seat of, I think it was a green Pontiac station wagon between my brother and my father. And there was this small kennel that we had in front of us going down Route 128 in Boston. 
I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know why we were going. And I had no idea what was going on. But I was taught early on, you don't ask any questions, and anything that happens in this house stays in this house. We do not just, you know, it's kind of like Las Vegas. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. And we were moving to the country. I mean, you think Tonopah is the country? This is a big city from where we went in Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, my God, it was just... And I later found out that my father had drunk all three successful businesses away. And one of the businesses was auctioned off. And I did go, and it was in Boston, and I stood behind the column at uh, Faneuil Hall to make sure my father was going to be all right because there were these people, and I didn't understand exactly what was happening, but they were bidding on this building that had been my father's. And he ended up working for the people that bought the building, but I was worried something might happen to him, and I wanted to be there for him. I am from alcoholism. I am alcoholic, and I have two alcoholic children. I can stand here and tell you I know all the pain of alcoholism. I know it from 16 ways to Sunday, and there is a lot of pain in alcoholism. I think the biggest pain for me was my own personal uh, alcoholism because I carried the things that I learned that I didn't like, like what happens in this house stays in this house. I did that when it was my turn to be a parent and a wife and have a family. I went to college in Boston, and it was really rough at home. I listened to a woman called Joyce Myers on television. I don't know if you've ever heard her. She's, I just think she's such a wonderful speaker. She's so down to earth and... And I really get a lot out of what she has said. And one of the things that she said that I remember, and I don't remember a whole lot of anything, but I do remember this. She said, I started off in a really rough way in my life. It was really rough. Middle of my life, it got a lot better. And this is the end of my life, and I'm having a blast, and it's wonderful. Alcohol did not enter my life personally. I've heard a lot of speakers say when they were 13, they were blitzed under the table. I never drank when I was 13. It was really when um, I was in college. I started a little bit. And when I graduated from college, um, a girlfriend of mine called and said, you want to go to the Sheraton tomorrow? They're going to have an interview uh, for a job. I said, sure, what kind of an interview? She said, it's going to be an interview with TWA. I said, oh, for what? She said, to be an in-flight cabin attendant. I said, oh, yeah, I think I'd like to do that. So we went, and they didn't hire her. I was really, she was so cute and so smart. I couldn't understand why they didn't hire her. And this man wanted me to go to work for TWA then and there. I said, I'm awfully sorry, but I really do have another commitment, and I don't like to break commitments. Um, I would love to go to work for you, but I can't go until November. 
And when I came back, uh, the day after I got home, he called me and told me that, I don't know, in a few, oh, November 10th, they were going to start a new class. Could I uh, get to the airport? They'd have a ticket, and I could, uh, they'd fly me free to Kansas City. Can you imagine going to Kansas City? <laughs> but it was wonderful. The people were divine, beautiful. It ended up, you know, this whole thing about contempt prior to investigation? Had a lot of that. Still have some, try to get rid of it. And the home I came from with the alcoholism that was in it, you know, I didn't know how to compare that house to another house, to another family. That's the only family I know. And boy, it was rough. I mean, there were fireworks at 3 in the morning, and uh, on one fourth of July, my mother came into my bedroom and woke me up at about three o'clock and said, go get your father, he's gone and it's your fault and he's drunk. And I went down the steps and I got in and I, as he fell on the way to the train at three, which it didn't run at three, I'd hold his head and, and cradle his head until he would stir and then I'd get up and hide behind a tree. So really what I'm trying to say to you is because I am alcoholic and because I have come to all of you, I found that there was a program called Al-Anon. And Al-Anon has helped me a great deal. I had no idea how much it would help me as a parent, but it really did. I didn't know about it for years after those episodes, but that was my example. I need some help in this area. I am codependent. I love working for the airlines. I'm a runner. I beat it out of town for anything I didn't like or anything that scared me, and I was always scared of everything. And I was a wonderful runner. I could make, the, I wasn't usually banging my foot like this. Mm -hmm. I'd make a beeline for someplace out of the, the catastrophe that I was in. And you know, the airlines kind of fit like a glove. If I didn't like it here, I'd trade and take a flight and go someplace else. It was terrific. My drinking became more, but it wasn't a problem. I've heard so many people say the first drink they took and they were off to the races. That's not my story. My story is it was very gradual and nonstop. The gradual became closer together. The episodes became worse, but I could function without too much repercussion. And I love the airlines, and I, from coming from the family I came from, I didn't want anything to do, excuse me, men, I didn't want anything to do with a man, a husband, a family. I really wanted the freedom that being able to support myself and go where I wanted to go, do what I wanted to do. And I loved that, but you know, I think this higher power of mine, had a very different plan for me. Because one of the young men that I dated was the most drop-dead gorgeous thing God ever put on earth. I mean, it was, took my breath away. I didn't want anything to do with him. He had a funny last name. He peddled envelopes. He played golf. Now, I just didn't have time for that and didn't want that. Boy, what a package that was wrapped up in. Whew. He was something. <laughs> I'm telling you, I could barely breathe. 
And I realized I was really falling for him. And I went right to TWA office and asked for a transfer. And I transferred out <coughs> to San Francisco. Would you think you'd get transferred in two days from San Francisco, from Kansas City to San Francisco? I think they'd be transferring and staying there. There wouldn't be any room there. There was, and I left, and so immature, and so didn't understand the way of life, didn't understand so much. I just uh, was very unworldly and unsophisticated. <coughs> And went to San Francisco, and you know, I know as I look back and as I've worked the steps, there's positively, absolutely a higher power. And boy, has he been busy in this woman's life. He was there keeping me alive and keeping me safe. And I loved San Francisco, it was divine. Restaurants, bars, clubs, places to go. Oh, I beat the pants off Boston, and I beat the pants off Kansas City, and I was a very happy woman. And alcohol became a very big part of my life. I lived in Sausalito. I had a red triumph. I would go over the Golden Gate Bridge to go to the airport to go to work. And when I wasn't working, it was Ramus Fizz's at the Trident. It was morning drinking, afternoon drinking, night drinking. And the drinking just really started to compress. One of the questions somebody asked me in the beginning was, do you ever go any place where they don't serve alcohol? No. No, I don't. Well, I didn't realize that that was a signal that there may be a little bit of a problem with alcohol with this person. But the drinking uh, escalated and the... The repercussions weren't too bad, but I was starting to get drunk, and I had not been drunk before. As I'd heard in a speaker meeting once, that the speaker was always the one that didn't get drunk and drive, could drive people home. That was me, but that changed, and it changed very gradually. This green-eyed, gorgeous hunk of person started going to San Francisco to open up the company uh, on the West Coast, the business he was with. The minute I knew he was there, I told you I was a runner, I ran. I went to the crew headquarters and said, I don't care where you send me, I want to be out of here. And that must have happened 10 or 11 times. And the last time I went flying up to the, I went walking up to the crew room and said, is there a back door here? And they started laughing. He said, no. I said, can you put me on a flight to go anywhere? I don't care where it is. Just let me go. And they really laughed, and they said, no. And he's standing out there, and he's done this before, and he's not leaving. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know if you can relate to when you fall head over heels for another human being. But I was a mess. I was a mess, and my life was inexorably altered with that thing with a funny last name, peddling envelopes, and playing golf. He was terrific, and I went back to Kansas City. And my drinking had really escalated during that period of time. I was now out of my late teens and early 20s, and drinking was just everything, just everything. 
even more important than this gorgeous hunk of meat. Just gorgeous. And I found out I couldn't stop drinking. I could try to stop, but I became a terrible sneak. I could hide my booze in my crew kit, uh, under the seat of the plane, un under my mattress. I became a dreadful sneak of a drink. And there were starting to be some consequences. We married and we moved to California after I'd had two children and I really wanted a I wanted a geographic. I wanted to get out of Dodge and I wanted to start all over again. That's when we moved to um, Villa Park. The drinking happened more and more often. I found that in California we drank a lot. There was wine and there were wonderful restaurants and I got so um, that I would pull up, run up the ivy to my next door neighbor's house and get booze out of their bar. You know, I had to make amends for that. That was an awful amends to have to make because it really was the truth. And one day my husband got a tax bill on a house that we'd purchased in May, and he got it in April, I mean, he got it in August, and his body, you know, he kind of went back and the taxes on that house had gone up three times since we had purchased it just a few months ago. And I thought, you know, I really have to do something to help this man. He shouldn't have to do all this. Now, what can you do with somebody that used to sling hash at 30,000 feet? I mean, equipped to do a job? I was not. But I went into real estate. And boy, do people drink in real estate. <laughs> And I was such a neophyte, and I was so unexposed to the reality of life that, you know, from March to December, I made $1,200. That wouldn't be enough to feed my dog. But all that time, I was fiercely learning, and my husband always called me feisty, and I would try to figure out what I needed to do and, and all the things that I had seen with people who were successful. And I tried to emulate that and to learn that. And for seven years, I was very successful in real estate. My husband almost stopped his job to come and work as a team with me. Thank God he didn't. And my drinking escalated beyond words. Martinis at luncheon and then not being able to go back to work because I was drunk. I couldn't understand why. And I'd go home and in the back refrigerator there was a jug of Ernest and Julio. Do you know they don't make that green jug anymore? <laughs> Do you know they really don't make the, they don't have the jug. I didn't have the hole in the jug. I just took the jug. Now they have a hole in the jug. Things have really changed. <laughs> My poor husband didn't know what was wrong with me. He thought I was having a nervous breakdown or midlife crisis because I would use toothpaste and try to hide the smell and, and try to be in a seated position so I wouldn't fall over. And uh, he brought one of his golf buddies home who was uh, my doctor. And Shelley said, what do you mean you don't know what's wrong with her? She's drunk as a lord. He said, oh, she's not drunk. 
So he talked my girlfriend into taking me to allegedly the Northridge Shopping Center. And when I looked up, it said, Northridge Mental Health Pavilion. I said, Carol, this is not the shopping center. And it is true. They have men with white jackets, and they came to the car, and they got me. And I was shuffling in those paper slippers you hear about. For 72 hours, you can be held against your will. And the doctor looked remarkably like my husband, and he would sit like this and talk to me. I thought he was trying to hypnotize me. What are you trying to do with your hands? So there were other women in this walk-down facility, and this doctor said to me, we're going to court tomorrow because I think you need to stay. I said, oh. And I got the girls to give me rollers for my hair, these girls that were really a little worse than me. And I got them to um, get me makeup. So when the doctor came, and my clothes I had between the mattress, and when the doctor came, I said, I'm ready. Let's go, he said. I've never, I'll never forget. I've never lost a patient to the court. I wanted to say to myself, I don't know a lot about arrogance, but I think I'm looking at it. <laughs> and I said, thank you, may I go? He said, yes. And so I don't know where I got the change to get the cab, but I bounced home. In the San Fernando Valley, it is hot. When it is June, it is hot. And I bounced home, and there was no booze, and I scrounged around for nickels and dimes and called a cab and went down to the liquor store that I had always gone to. And the man behind the counter was a little surprised to see me because my car had a personalized license plate, and it was always going to this liquor store. And here I was getting out of the cab. He was a little shocked. And I went home, and I just drank. I didn't eat. I just drank. And when I get up in the morning, part of me would say, what are you doing? You're going to have a drink. It's not even 8 o'clock in the morning. And the other side of me would say, what's one lousy little drink with all you have to put up with? And one morning, I didn't get up and do that. And I picked up the phone, and I called a very good friend, friend that uh, his wife was my best friend and he was my husband's best friend and he was our physician and I said I can't stand it one more minute I can't stand Stan and I can't stand Paul and from out of nowhere when I say miracle I said Al I have a little problem with alcohol and this man treated me so well he said, you're the sharpest woman I have ever met, and I know a little about that kind of problem. Would you like me to get you someone, Dr. Drucker? Would you like me to get you someone that knows a lot about that? And from that same place came this voice. It was not my voice. Would you please? I went to this doctor's office two days later. My husband drove me, by the way. He wasn't going to take any chance I wasn't going to go. He was going to make sure I got there. And this man sat down behind his desk, and he said, well, Andrea, what brings you here? 
I said, I'm an alcoholic, and I, and I don't know what to do about it. Do you want me to go to Raleigh Hills or one of those places that, that you hear about on television? And he got up from behind his desk. And I'll never forget it. He had penny loafers, khaki pants, a shirt, plaid long sleeve shirt, and his hair bounced. And he came running around his desk, and he swung me around with the tears flying out of his eyes. I thought, what the dickens is the matter with this person? And he said, we find him like you. We find him blue and dead on the bathroom floor. And that would be the next place you'd be. Can you go to a hospital? And I said, yeah, I can go to a hospital. Well, what I didn't know is when he took me down the hall to the examination room, I thought, he opened the door and he said, oh, it's OK. She can go to the hospital. And I knew, well, I don't know what this man is, but he's bonkers. And when I went into that room, our daughter was sitting there, burst into tears. My husband was standing there, burst into tears. And this really attractive, nice gal, who I became very good friends with for years. You know, I can't remember what I had for dinner tonight, but I remember her name was Joy Fletcher. And she said to me, come in, Andrea. I'm an interventionist. I said, you're a who what? <laughs> I am an interventionist, and I help people and families that have a problem with alcohol. I said, that's wonderful. Can you go to a hospital? Yes. When can you go now? I said, no, I can't go till Monday. And you know, not one of them snickered or went, ha, 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 right, she can't go. She's not going to go. They didn't do that. They just said, uh, well, when can you go? I said, I can go Monday. And if I'm not there Monday, I checked in on Sunday night. Uh, there was a, a, a transaction that I had in Calabasas that the people wouldn't let the person that I put my file on all these desks and walked out of the office. So I had to go and finish. Now I am really a, a miracle believer because this was a Sunday. And I got a home inspector, the other broker, the buyers, the sellers, and me. And we went to this house. We got the home inspection done. We went to the other broker's office. And there was an escrow office opening that day. It was having an open house, and they had champagne all over the place. And I didn't want a drink. And I had told everyone I had to leave at 12. And everybody agreed that the escrow officer could handle the uh, transaction. And I drove home, and we drove to Tustin and walked in. And at the nurse's station, they said to our daughter, oh, you must be Andrea. Well, she barreled against the wall, said, no, I'm not Andrea. She's Andrea. <laughs> I found uh, the name of um, a clubhouse in Reseda on the way home from there 28 days later. Went home, put my suitcase on the same bed that I'd put it on to pack, called AA Central in Van Nuys and said, oh, my name's Andrea and I'm just out of a rehab. Do you have any meetings? I was flying so high from having alcoholism be my problem and there was a solution. All of you were my solution. You had the steps. You had the people to guide me in the steps. 
Oh, I just don't think I came down to the ground for a year. And he said, yes, this is a wonderful meeting in Van Nuys, in Van Nuys Press, and uh, the auditorium is a big building, and they have AA, and they have Al-Anon. And our first date after my recovery started was going hand-in-hand hand to Millie's, a coffee shop. And hand-in-hand, hand we went down, and I went to AA, and Stan went to Al-Anon. And that was the beginning of the very best part of my life. 45 days later, our son got in trouble at school, and he went to the same place I did, and he got sober. Two and a half years later, our daughter called me from Boulder, Colorado, and said, please come and get me, and she was finishing her first semester of college. I took her to Yosemite to a convention. I took up an ACA daughter, and I brought back an alcoholic woman. I'm here to tell you, I know the pain of alcoholism. And I know the thrill and the pleasure and the happiness to be in a room like this and see you in recovery. And your 28th birthday is wonderful. Congratulations. I love the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is a family disease, and there is hope within this program. Thank you. All right.